Hello again, and welcome to the Access 21 podcast. I'm John Rocco, Executive Director at the Charlotte Mecklenburg Public Access Corporation. Very pleased to have with me for this episode, Kima Mingo, who is the current Vice President of the Board of Directors of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Public Access Corporation. Kima, thanks for being with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. So I like to begin when I have board members on to talk a little bit about how long they've been with the organization, what got you involved with the organization, and convince the folks out there why they should get involved with the organization. Absolutely. So this is my first full term, but my second go round. So I had come in the middle of a term and now um, I've been renewed. And so I'll be for this term here. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate being a part of something like this. I, I love the, the idea of Access 21 and having the community be able to come in and create their own video content. So you don't have to buy equipment at home. You don't have to be an expert. You get the training that you need. You have access to the facilities and you can actually create an amazingly quality show at a place like this. And so there's a lot of people who may not even know that it's here. They may not think that they have access to it, or maybe you have to be a particular person, know a particular person to, to get into this. And it's just a matter of coming to the orientation. And if you want to be a part of it, you sign up and you pay your fees and you're dedicated, take the classes and boom, you can have a show. And you know, it's simple, but it's not, but th that kind of process is definitely simple to be able to come in and to create content for whomever you want to create it for. So how did you come to get appointed to the board or get involved in the, in the, in the first place? So Tommy Nichols, who is the president of the board is one of my fr friends and filmmaker friends here in Charlotte, because we both are in the film industry and he had spoken to me about this and was like, Hey, we really need, you know, a variety of people on the board. We want to have more filmmakers because we have people from different aspects of the community, which is great. And he just pitched it to me to say, you know, as a filmmaker and I'm very active and I do a lot of things in and around Charlotte and then also nationally. Um, he was like, you know, he felt like I would be a good fit for this. And so he told me about it and yeah, I, I became a part of it. So, Tell us a little bit about your film background, because that's very important to what we do here. It's a communications business, a free speech platform. So tell, let's, let's talk a little bit about what you do in your real life when you're not here. <laughs> when I'm not here. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm glad you asked about that, because a lot of people feel like you have to start where you want to end up. And that's just not real life. We zigzag you know, all over the place. Now, I know that you've been in this arena for a long time, so you're one of the very few people who've been able to start it in here, but you may have done things beforehand, just like I had. So I started my career in broadcast television. So I have a, a bachelor's degree in mass communications and journalism, and I have a master's degree in film. So my very first job before I got out of undergrad was at a local news station, an NBC affiliate. Now I'm from Virginia, so it was local to Virginia, and so I started my career in live broadcast TV, and it just taught me so much because working in the live arena, you've just got to know how to do, you have to work out under pressure. You have to do things right the first time. You have a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. And a lot of times when people only do film, they don't understand the, the um, power of what you bring to the table when you've worked in some type of live arena setting. So I started at a broadcast news station. I ended up going to public television Later on, I became a producer, so I was behind the scenes at the news station. Then I became a producer of a weekly show at public in public TV, and then I got laid off. 
And it was very disheartening. It was a reality check. And I had to go to retail. And I had two small children at the time. And I went to Bath and Body Works. And I had to ask people if they weren't lotion with that spray. And it was very humbling (laughs) as well. Because at that point, I was working on my third degree. And I'm thinking, well, I did everything right. I went and got my education. I got into the field. And then I got laid off, something that was out of my control. And I couldn't get back in. And so from that job in Virginia, I transferred here to a Bath and Body Works here in Charlotte. Still couldn't get back into the industry. I interviewed at um, a lot of different places. I sent my resume to every radio station, every TV station, and nothing. And so what I decided to do at that point, um, my husband was my boyfriend at the time. He was my fiance at the time. And he was like, okay, why don't we just buy you some cameras, a laptop, and you can start doing things on your own? Because at that point, I had been in my career almost 10 years, of course, and then also having my education and... From what I had learned in the industry, I was able to do on my own. So for me, I wasn't able to just transition from one job to the other because it was cut off. And then coming to Charlotte, nobody would hire me, which I thought was very interesting, even with my credentials and experience. And so I started shooting music videos and doing interviews with people and just using what I learned in the industry to transition into doing videos. And then eventually I became a professor at the Art Institute of Charlotte, which is no longer here. And that really brought me back into the film industry as far as like the narrative film industry. And it took me back to school because I had to teach my students. So I'm studying and getting my curriculum together as they were studying. And that really sparked something else in me. And I started writing scripts. Actually, I was writing scripts before I started working there. And um, then I, I run a writer's group. And I started writing more for myself and it really gave me the confidence. I was like, wow, my stuff is really good. And not because I said so, but I would present it to the group and they would love it. And so from there, I really decided, okay, this is what I want to do. And I got uh, fired from that job. So it's funny. I don't leave jobs too often. They end up getting (laughs) rid of me. So (laughs) the Art Institute of Charlotte, they fired me there. And that was the springboard that I needed. And that's the last J-O-B that I've had. And that was back in 2015. And after that, my film career exploded and not just on a personal level where my projects I was able to do and produce my own scripts and direct them. And and when I mean produce, I mean actually write and then get them shot and then edit and put them out. But then I started working on bigger projects and Hollywood projects like um, Shots Fired, which was here back in 2016. And I cast extras for that. And that was uh, for Fox. It was created by Gina Prince and Reggie Bythewood. And then I did a feature film that year. Wow, gosh, there's so many things. Now I'm trying to remember everything that I've done. But I just, oh, I did uh, TLC's Married by Mom and Dad. I did a lot of different things after that. And so at this point, like today, you know, I was rushing in because we're casting extras for a Disney Hulu pilot um, right now that's going on in Baltimore. But I've been able to do Hollywood productions as well as independent projects. But I started in broadcast TV. It's interesting because we have a lot of folks that come in here and a lot, some of them are just doing things because it's a, of an interest or they have a message they want to get out. But we do have a lot of people who have aspirations. And I don't think a lot of times people understand the years of work and making no money. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because people, people think, well, you know, it's television. So everybody that works in television or radio is making a lot of money. And that's not the case. It's not the case. And in actuality, if you think about even like a multi-million dollar budget, you could have hundreds of people on set that you have to pay. 
for pre-production, which happens before you actually shoot, and then production, which is the shooting, and then post-production, which is the editing and putting it together. And you've got to pay all those people, if not thousands of people, and you got to divvy all of that money. So a lot of times people think coming into the film industry is easy, first of all, and it's not. They think that because it's creative, any and everyone can do it. They can't. Because even though it's a creative industry, it still has a science behind it. And it's a, an industry that you need to respect, you need to study to be a part of it. So then you can carry yourself as the professional that you want. And then also they think you're going to make a lot of money, and you don't. I literally just had that conversation through text with an extra today. And she was surprised about the money that she was getting per day. And then I was telling her, well... You know, you get paid for when you're on set. And on this particular production, you get paid for your COVID test and you get paid for your fitting. And she felt like she was going to be spending hundreds of dollars just to drive to go to set, which I don't I don't know how close or far she was. But even if you were far away, like we live in Charlotte and my family's in Virginia, I can put I can fill up my tank and only spend a half a tank to get there. So I don't even spend, you know, 50 bucks to drive there. So I'm not really sure what she was thinking as far as the expenses, but I guess she thought she was going to be making thousands of dollars per day. And that's for an extra. Is it a speaking part? No, Probably not. No. no, they're, they're the people. <laughs> now it's funny because people think that extras work means, Oh, you're just background. And we don't ever say just background because think about it, unless you're doing the movie, I am legend where they had people in a particular scene. And then remember Will Smith and his dog, Mm -hmm. We're basically in the entire film outside of the vampires. Unless you're doing something like that, you have to have people to make the scene look realistic. You have to have folks in the salon, people in the mall, at the amusement park. Again, now, if the amusement park is empty, maybe it's a scary movie. And you're not supposed to have people there. But background extras are very important. Right. But people snub it as if it's not legitimate work and legitimate money. And it is. And let me say this one last thing. I also had someone ask... Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he at, he thought their daily rate was an hourly rate. <laughs> and I'm like, um, no, you're not getting that per hour. It is for the day. But think about it. You get to be on set. You get to relax and chill and learn the industry from the bottom up. You get to be fed the entire time that you're there. You're going to be on a TV show that is created by, you know, whatever company it is, if it's Fox or Disney or Hulu or whomever. And then people are going to see you on camera. And you get paid for it. Yeah. Like that should be good enough. Well, years ago, I'm talking probably 30 years ago, I was running a small channel in Pennsylvania and we used a lot of student volunteers. And I never forget I had, um, you know, we used to use them for camera people and grips and all that kind of stuff, the grunt work kind of things. And I had this one young lady come in and she sat down. I said, well, this is what we need people to do. We need them to work camera, we need them to work lights, we need them to do this, that, and the other thing. And she looked right at me and at you know 18 years old or whatever she was, and she said, oh no, she said, I only do on-camera work. Oh no. And I said back to her, well, leave your resume at <laughs> leave, oh, no, actually I said, leave the name of your agent at the front <laughs> desk and uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and <laughs> I never saw her again, but you know, cause people don't, think they have to start at the bottom. Yeah, well, they think they have to start at the top. Right. Yeah, they are, let me say this, I'm, I'm going to put it gently. I think people's expectations need to be curbed. And I think they need to be realistic about what it is that they bring to the table and what they should expect from others when they're on a film set. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people want to demand 
well, you know, if I'm working, I need to get paid. And so what I ask people now is, is the value that you bring commiserate of the money that you're asking for? Mm-hmm. Or are you coming on set with nothing, with an empty bowl, which I call the empty bowl syndrome. So you come to the set with nothing, no experience, no resume, no connections, no education. But all you have is a dream. So you come on set and with your empty bowl, you ask me to fill it with all of my experience and other people who are on set and you want their experience. So then you can walk away and live your dreams elsewhere. So what is it that we get out of it? If I'm paying you, plus I'm training you, and I'm giving you experience for you to now be more attractive to the next person, what is it that I'm getting out of it? And we have to understand this law of reciprocity Mm -hmm. is real. You can't come with your expectations and you're not reciprocating something. And I think that's what was the unfortunate thing about this young lady. She had her expectations of what she thought you should be giving her. And in this world and in this industry, it's not about what people can give you. We got to think about reciprocity. Right. I add value, you add value, and we all win. Because otherwise, if that's not the case, it's a parasite host situation that you're giving and someone's taking. Right. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I had two fabulous internships that actually cost me money because I had to travel to get there. Right. You know, and take the Long Island Railroad and the subway into Manhattan. And one of them was at NBC, and I never forget, I got there the first day, and I had to fill out all these papers as if I was an employee. Right. And they said, well, at the end of the week, you could take this voucher up to payroll and get your money. And I thought, okay. And at the end of the week, they gave me $10 because they gave me a round trip $2 a day for the subway. That was my pay. Wow. (laughs) And it was costing me about $15 a day to take the train in to go to work. But I I saw it as, hey, I'm working at 30 Rock and I can put this on my resume. And so it didn't matter that it was actually costing me money. It was actually worth it. But you were also investing in yourself. Right. And in our business, and actually in any business, I mean, think about it. For your barber to be able to cut your hair, they have to have, what, 1,500 hours on the book or whatever the case is. Your therapist has to have a bunch of hours, your doctor, your dentist, your esthetician, whomever it is. But yet when it comes to what we do, because people have access to the the information easily, they have access to the equipment easily, they think, well, if I go buy this camera now, it makes me a professional. Mm -hmm. But if I bought these clippers, would that make me a barber? Right. No, it doesn't. It means that I am this inexperienced person with some equipment and I have to respect the industry and learn it. And so we have to, as professionals in the media, in film, in commercial music, we have to respect the industry and invest in ourselves, you know, because otherwise we're not really adding value to the situations we're in. Well, and part of the problem is that it does look easy because if I had a nickel for every person that has come in or will still come in, and now it's probably changed just because she's semi-retired, that says, well, I'm going to do a show because I'm going to be the next Oprah. Yes. And see, this is Oprah's fault because Oprah makes it look easy. Oh, she does. Now, they don't see that she has, you know, a staff of 200 (laughs) and and people working, but she makes it look easy. And so people sit in their living room and they go, well, I can do that. And, you know, it's very interesting, um, you know, nowadays we have our bloggers and vloggers and, you know, everyone ha- who has a mic has an opinion, which is fine. You know, we have free speech in this country and I, and I value that. One thing that I've realized, there will be some people that I, whose podcasts or vlogs that I listen to and they don't know how to interview people. No. They want to be the smartest person in the room, so they do the most talking. 
They talk over the person. They lead the person because they want the person to say what they want them to say. And if you actually took just even journalism 101, you would learn some of the things that you need to know for your foundation. So then your show will be top notch. So you may not have a degree in it, but I mean, my goodness, at least get a certificate, at least, you know, take an hour to research online or, or call your, your local TV station and ask them, Hey, I want to start a podcast and I really don't know how to interview people. Can you give me some pointers? And that will give you an edge, but you're right because it is creative. People think it's easy. Well, and we've done a workshop here uh, on how to interview people. And I find that the biggest flaw in anybody's interview is they're not actually listening to the answers the person they're interviewing is giving. Because from those answers, most likely is gonna come your next question. It might not be a question you were planning on asking or have written down, but the answer to which the, the first question you asked may contain the next question. Absolutely. But they're not listening. They're no. not listening. <laughs> And they need to, and, and that's what makes it a conversation that you're listening. There's a follow-up. There's a transition from this one subject to the next subject. But what people tend to do is this is my agenda. And so I want to ask these questions. And it sounds like they're basically, you know, shooting off these questions. And sometimes they're not even related. Right. Sometimes they don't transition them from one to the other. And an interview is supposed to feel like a conversation, yet there's a science behind it because it's really structured and you won't see the, you won't see the steps in it if the person is really good. This is funny because, um, again, years ago, and what I mentioned earlier, I was, used to use all these students, and we used to do a show with the county commissioners, and we'd have one on every month, and they would rotate. And we used to have the journalism kids do the interviews. You know, it was a chance to host a show and do an interview. And this one young lady, she had all her questions written down that she was going to ask the commissioner, wasn't really listening. He gave his answers and about with 10 minutes left in the show, she looked at, i never forget, she looked at her paper and she looked at him and she said, that's all there is. Cause she was out of questions and there was 10 <laughs> minutes left. And <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at her pain, and, no, but well, it is just so sad. Yeah. And thank good. I'm in the control. I'm like, well, oh my God, what are we going to do? And luckily this commissioner just said, oh, you know, one of the thing I wanted to talk about, and he went on for the last 10 minutes of the show. Wow. And, and I, I, I never use names. I don't even remember her name, Right. but it was, I use it as an example all the time, you know, because, you know, you have 10 questions. And you ask them all, and if your guest can really bollocks you up by just saying, well, yes, then what do you do? Right. You know, so you have to be able to. You have to think to, on your feet. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be a conversationalist as well. And, and one of the lessons that you learn, one of the first things you learn in journalism is you don't ask closed-ended questions. No. Well, one time I was interviewing this um, gentleman who was running for a city council where I was working. We used to do... 15 minute candidate interviews. And you know, 15 minutes isn't too long unless someone doesn't have anything to say. So I usually just start out with the obligatory, so tell me about yourself. And the first thing he said was, well, in 1955. Oh my gosh. And I thought this is gonna be a long journey down memory lane and I only have 15 minutes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, you have to be careful about those too, because then people will start when, 
yes, I remember when I was on that farm and my parents told me when I was born Mm -hmm. and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, now you start double-dutching, like where can I jump into this conversation to get them to fast forward to what I actually asked them? Right. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about before I run out of time that I find interesting is you're doing a camp for young black filmmakers, girls. Yes. Tell me about that. Absolutely. And it's funny you would mention that because I was going to wear my T-shirt today, but I was like, maybe not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So a friend of mine, Jamika Anderson, and I created what's called the Black Girls Film Camp. And basically, um, we were just talking one day. Now, mind you, this is two years ago. So she and I met in 2019 through a mutual friend, Francine Marie, who's an ordinary personality here. And I remember Francine saying, hey, you and Jamika really need to meet each other. And, you know, sometimes you're leery of that when people say you need to meet somebody. You're thinking... Why? So anyway, Jamika's an amazing woman. And so we decided, we were just talking, and she said, hey, I was thinking we could do a film camp for black girls. And as we were talking, we, we realized that, first of all, there isn't something out there. And if there is, we may not know about it. But there aren't many programs that actually allows black girls the space to just mm-hmm. tell their own stories. And a lot of our stories are told by other people. You know, you watch the media and, and TV shows and movies and whatnot, and a lot of people tend to write about black women in the way that they see us and not necessarily the way that we are. And that's including our black girls. So we wanted to create a safe space and a platform where black women really invest in, pour into and volunteer their time to, and, and actually volunteer and serve their time to give to these young black women. So, yes, yeah, so we um, we actually wrapped it last weekend. And um, so we started where we just put the, put the post out there. We had a bunch of submissions. We dwindled it down to 15 girls that we interviewed, and we wanted to have 10 girls actually become a part of the program because it's the first time that we've done it. We had each girl have a mentor. Each young lady had an editor as well. And then we were able to get a lot of heavy hitters in the industry to come and speak to the girls every week. And so what we decided to do was it was going to be a weekly camp because at first we were going to do it in person and then COVID happened because we were going to do it last summer. Mm -hmm. So this year we decided to go ahead and let's do it online and see how that works. So we met once a week with these young ladies on a Saturday and we were formatted to where we would give some encouraging thing, you know, words and stuff in the beginning. I would teach a class or maybe someone else would teach something. And then we would have women from the industry come and speak. So for instance, one of our guests is Karen Tolliver. She is the Oscar-winning producer of the animation called Hair Story. Mm-hmm. No, Hair. Lo- I'm sorry, Hair Love. Sorry, <laughs> Karen Tolliver is called Hair Love, and it won the Oscar. But she's also the senior vice president of Sony Animation. And we've had um, Halcyon Person, who is working on an animation for Netflix. It's called Karma, and it's based upon the rapper Ludacris's daughter. I mean, gosh, we had so many other amazing Black women come in, and then what we did at the end. Because every week they would learn something and move in the process of learning how to do their film. And then they would do their film. We give them feedback. Their editor would edit it. And then we had an actual award ceremony. So last weekend was our last meeting with the young ladies for now. And we played all the films. We had it like an award where we had like animations Mm -hmm. of, you know, for this category, um, this person, you know, this category is going to be the best writer or the best director. And then we also had... um, all the guest speakers from the other weeks to come in and present the awards to them while also having other speakers in between the award ceremony. So it was like the Oscars, but based in Charlotte Mm -hmm. and it was just amazing. And so we watched their films and their guests would announce them, you know, the most original, the most impactful and to see the top four nominees, because we would do that. We put the top four nominees and show the young lady and then we would show them all on the screen and to see 
the anticipation. And then when the young lady would win, mm -hmm. you know, having their family screaming or having them near to tears. I mean, we almost cried at the end because they were just so excited and they felt like they were getting an Oscar. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to have a program that was well put together, well run for these young ladies to be able to learn how to tell their story and then actually tell it. And was there an age age range for that? Oh, absolutely, because we will be doing this again. So thank you for asking that. Yes, so this is geared toward high school girls from ninth grade to 12th grade. Okay, and the, and the, the films they produce, would they have to be, uh, they could be, I assume, whatever they wanted to be. Yes, any subject matter up to five minutes, because we wanted to make sure that it's not a film that's way too long where it's too daunting to get it done, but then also we don't want it to be long and drawn out, which is why we would have women from the industry come and edit their projects for them. And they talked about everything from uh, being black girl gamers, um, how social media affects them on a daily basis, colorism, um, Oh, wow. I'm trying to think of some other things, um, being colorblind. So it was just a, a lot of great topics. One young lady did, she talked about how, you know, she wanted her prom, but you know, COVID took it away. Yeah. So all of those types of films, but it was from their perspective and from their lives. Same thing happened to my daughter. The prom dress is hanging in the closet, never been worn because wow. there was no prom. Oh my gosh. I could not imagine. Cause I remember prom and it was amazing. Yeah. Well, Unfortunately, we're out of time. Oh no. And uh, it went by fast, didn't it? It did. And uh, I want to thank you for coming in and uh, maybe we'll have it, we'll do this again because there was a couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't get to. Yeah, so that means we, I do have to come back, absolutely. Okay. But I would like to pitch my social media, is that, is that okay? Sure. Okay, so people can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Kimamingo, which is K-E-E-M as in Mary A-M-I-N-G-O. And then I also, have my master classes. I didn't mention those, but being a college professor and having a master's in film, I decided that I should teach on my own. Mm -hmm. But, and, and what I do is I provide film school quality content without the film school price. So you're not going to go into debt taking my courses. And it's at the Mingo Masterclass. And that's on Facebook and Instagram. Great. I hope uh, some people uh, look you up. Thank you. That'll do it for uh, this Access 21 podcast. I want to remind everybody that uh, if you'd like to have your own TV show or podcast, you can do so here at Access 21. You can visit our website at www.tvaccess21.com or you can give us a call at 704-377-8988. I'd like to remind everybody that this podcast was recorded at the facilities of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Public Access Corporation. And I'd like to thank our engineer as always, James Rossi. So until next time, I'm John Rocco. Thanks for listening.